Well, I struggled just a little bit with whether I should share this opening story or not in light of the fact that so many of your kids are away at Winterfest, but I decided I would go ahead and share it. You know, for a number of years, I was in youth ministry, and one of the things about youth ministry, and I know Alex feels this, is that you're constantly worried, you know, that your kids will all be together, you want to make sure where they are, and so you're counting kids and all the rest. Well, we went to this big youth event in, uh, right outside of, of Little Rock, Arkansas, Youth in Action, it was called back in the day. It had a great event, we loaded up in the buses, counted everybody, we had a couple of buses, and we made our way back to Jackson, Tennessee, where we were from, where I was living at the time. We stopped in Dyersburg, Tennessee to grab some lunch before we went home. So we pulled in and walked in, and uh, parents came up to me and said, have you seen Bradley? I said, Bradley? He's in the other bus. He said, he's not in our bus. And I'm thinking, Bradley was sort of the the youth group clown. So I'm thinking, Brad Hayes is under a seat. He's hiding. He's doing something. I'm looking in the bus. Brad, where are you? Are you there? Brad's not there. And suddenly it dawns on me, we've left Brad back in Little Rock. At that exact moment, I felt the Lord calling me to preaching ministry. Because one of the things I found is that parents don't like it very much if you leave their kids 200 miles from home. I've just, I've, I've, I, now I am a parent, and so I don't like that very much. Now, the story ends in a positive way because Brad was, uh, you know, a kid who, who had a lot of... of um, gumption about him and so he found out there's another church from our same town who was at this youth event he found their youth minister and he he got a ride with them and all was all was fine but but that's i think a youth minister's one of his biggest fears is he's going to leave leave someone behind we're going to lose someone well you know that says something about the heart of god Because what we're learning in Luke chapter 15 is that God has an interest in the one. God has a concern with the one who's lost. And so as we're reading Luke 15 together, we we see, we saw last week that it's really one story with three movements. Jesus tells this parable. And the parable has, has three big parts to it. The first is this story about this shepherd who has one sheep that's lost. And he doesn't go, well, I've got 99 others. It's a 1% loss. No big deal. No, he doesn't do that. He leaves the 99 amazingly in the open country. He leaves them in the open country. And he goes in search of the one that's lost. He takes a great risk in searching for the one who's who's far from the 99, and he finds it, and there's great rejoicing. And then last week we saw how it's this, this part of the story where this woman has a dowry, more than likely, 10 precious coins to her, and she finds one is lost. What does she do? She pulls up the carpet. She moves the furniture around. She's looking all through the house, turns the lights on, because she's searching for the coin that's lost. And this week, we're looking at maybe the most powerful moment in this story it's the story of a dad who has two sons and one of the sons goes into the far country now this chapter we said really is set up by luke 15 1 through 2 there's a story behind the story and the story behind the story is there were these religious leaders who'd missed the point that's amazing to me that religious people can miss the point Here are these religious people. And they had forgotten how much lost people matter to God. 
Somewhere along the way, they thought church was about them. Somewhere along the way, they thought it was about their needs being met. Somewhere along the way, they thought all the stuff that goes on at church, it's so they can be happy. And so they're looking at Jesus, and they're real concerned about Jesus because he's spending entirely too much time with outsiders. Now, here's the blind spot we have. The blind spot is the longer we become insiders, the less concerned and interested we get with outsiders. And if we're not careful, we can become like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and we forget what we're about. We, for, we, we lose this focus on people who are outside our walls. And so all of our planning is about us. All the money we spend, it's about us. All the thinking, it's about us. And we forget that God is calling us to go after the one that's lost. And so with all that in mind, he now tells us this story. And Jesus captures my attention immediately by the way the story begins. Because it it begins this way. There was a man who had two sons. See, this speaks to me immediately because I have three sons. And each son is extremely precious to me. And those of you who have children, you know each child you have is extremely precious. I remember when our boys were little, we would say to Chase, Chase, you are our favorite 11-year-old. And we would say to Reed, Reed, you're our favorite 5-year-old. And Trey, you are our favorite 3-year-old. They each knew that they're, they're they're, they're all three precious to us. And so here's a man, and he has these two sons, and he loves them deeply. And one day the youngest boy comes to the dad and he says father give me my inheritance or give me my share of the estate now that sounds kind of abrupt to me give me my share of the estate and amazingly the father goes ahead and he divides his inheritance he distributes his estate even before he dies and while this could be done frankly it was quite uncommon and so for the boy to come to the dad and ask for his share of the estate now it's kind of like the son saying dad I wish you were already dead go ahead and give me my inheritance and the father grants the son's request It doesn't take long before the boy gets all his stuff together and he quickly takes the money and he heads out of town. He can't get out of town quick enough. And he gets as far away from his father as he possibly can. And with the money in his back pocket, he's going to have a blast. And at first, running from the father feels an awful lot like freedom. But as we will see in just a moment or two, this freedom in in a little bit will turn into misery and friends understand when you run away from your heavenly father that's where it always leads either in this life or in the life to come it always it always leads it to, to misery and so what does the son do with his newfound freedom well jesus tells us jesus paints this picture he says he squanders his wealth in reckless or wild living reckless loose living he's having a ball 
He's the life of the party and everyone is invited. It's all on him. He's got plenty of money. And this kind of living feels great for a while, but it's, it's kind of like skydiving. It feels free and amazing until you ultimately realize you don't have a parachute on and at that moment it gets pretty complicated. And so he has this sense of exhilaration, this sense of freedom. And then he runs into verse 14. And in verse 14 it says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so what's he going to do now? Reality strikes him squarely in the face. <clears throat> and since he is broke and now alone, <clears throat> he went out and hired himself to a citizen of the country, and that citizen sent him into the fields to feed <clears throat> the pigs. Here's something we need to know. When we break our attachment with God like this young, young man did, we'll find another attachment. You see, you see, when we find that other attachment, that attachment feels more like slavery than sonship. When you run from God, when you lose that attachment to God, you'll, you'll find other attachments because just like this young man, there's this, this hole in our hearts that we're trying to fill. And you'll try to fill it with any number of things. It might be a dependence on drugs. It might be illicit sex. It might be pornography. It might be any number of things. But if we run from God, if we run from the Father, we'll run to another because that hole in our heart must be filled. It demands to be filled. And so it, it says in verse 16, in fact, he longed to fill, it says, he longed to fill his stomach and yet, I love how it ends where it says, no one gave him anything. The irony I discovered this week is he gave everything this young man did. He gave everything he had, and yet he gets nothing in return. He had plenty of money, and he spread that money around. He's given a lot of stuff to a lot of people. He gave everything he had, and yet he gets nothing in, the, in return. That's the world's math. And it doesn't work out. And so he's in the far country. And you know, we, when we go into the far country, we're often like this young man in our story. We go to the swine troughs to be filled. I mean, we, we try to fill our lives with that which is most shallow or temporary, often immoral, hoping that somehow that gaping hole in our heart will be filled. We're hungry for meaning, for purpose, but ultimately we're hungry for God. And we find life in the far country ultimately does not satisfy. You see, the truth is we're designed to be filled with God. And if we run from Him, if we take our, our little earthly inheritance of, of money and time and relationships and energy, and if we freely spend that in the far country, we will never be satisfied and then there's a famine that's going to come. And the famine always comes. And so what do we do? What did the young man in our story do? Well, a young man, he's, he's had enough. 
And while the the far country makes all these promises, it promises all sorts of freedom and all sorts of joy and all sorts of happiness and adventure, it hasn't quite lived up to its billing. And so this young man, while he's in the far country, he makes a decision. In fact, in verse 17, it puts it like this. When he came to his senses. I like how the Revised Standard Version translates that verse. It literally, and it's it's closer to to the idea... It says, when he came to himself. You see, here's the thing about sin. Sin alienates us from ourselves, from our best self, our true self, from the self we're created to be by our Father. You see, we are created by God, like God, for God. Conversion is a coming back to ourself, our truest self, as well as a coming back to God running from God is always running from who we were created to be our best self and so now he comes comes to himself and he makes a decision he says I'm I'm going to go back to my father and he comes to his father in brokenness and in humility earlier when he when he was with the father he says give me my inheritance now now he knows he's coming back not as a son, but in his mind he's, he's going to come back as a hired servant. My AA friends would tell me at this moment that the young man has reached the bottom. And so as he's reached this bottom, he begins rehearsing in his mind what he's going to say to his father. He, he has this speech that he's going to, to use when he comes back to his dad, and so he He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your your son. Make me now like one of your hired servants. He knows he squandered it all. He knows he's not worthy. He's going back not to be, expecting not to be treated like a son. He he knows he's going to be treated now like, like a servant. And so this boy's head is down and he slowly begins to make the journey back to his dad. And if we listen closely, we we might even hear him as he's walking along the way, repeating his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your servant. Make me now like one of your hired servants. He knows he's going to have to rebuild his father's trust again. He knows he's hurt and disappointed his dad. He knows he's brought shame and embarrassment on the entire family And he knows things can never be the same again. After all, we know you can never put toothpaste back in the tube, can you? The relationship will be forever damaged and strained. At least that's what the son is thinking. And so he begins his journey. As we read the story, we wonder, well, how will the father respond to his boy? What will he do? And it doesn't take long before Jesus tells us how the Father reacts. In the middle of verse 20, as Jesus describes, continues narrating the story, and as Jesus describes what his dad does, it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Why did his father see him? Well, the obvious answer is his father saw him because his father was looking for him. 
He saw him because every day that dad would get up and he would go outside, he'd look across, the, he would scan the horizon and we would wonder, would this be the day his son comes home? He didn't have any promises that his boy would ever come back. He hoped he would. He longed for the day when he could see his son coming back over the horizon. You see, the thing I want you to know about God, about, about our Father that Jesus is teaching us is that we have a God who's looking for us. Oh, we, we turn our back on God. We go the other direction. We make a beeline to the far country thinking that the far country is going to offer all this, these wonderful things and maybe for a while we experience some measure of happiness, but, it, but it's empty. It's hollow. And the Father's always looking for us. And when we decide to come back, God sees us. And so right now, maybe, maybe you think, God doesn't know who I am. God's, God's not interested in my life. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. I want you to know God knows you. God loves you. He knows your struggles. He knows your sin. He knows those areas of your life that are, out of, that are not in harmony with, with his will. He sees you. How does the Father respond Is his heart filled with anger? Does he look at his son in disappointment? No, it says this next. Jesus says he was filled, notice, he was filled with compassion. His heart was not filled with rage. So many people think God's angry at them. God's mad at them. This passage says that God, God has compassion. He he has compassion for us because when we're in the far country, he knows how painful that can be. He knows what a dead end that life is. He has compassion for us. That's how he feels toward all of his children. And then I love the next phrase where it says, and he ran to his son. Now, here's a a middle-aged man, the owner of a significant estate with servants at his beck and call. There's a certain decorum to maintain. There's a certain dignity that a father in the ancient world would have. Such people do not run. Oh, they, they stand there in a very proud, stern way. Oh, that boy better run to me, but I'm going to stay right here. Such people do not run. This kind of man runs. And he throws his, his middle-aged decorum to the wind. He, and he gives himself over to the utter joy that's in the depths of his heart because he sees his boy and he's so happy that his son has decided to come home. Earlier, the boy could not wait to get away from his father. Now the father can't wait to get to his son. And the the good news of this text is that we have a God who runs to meet us. As the old preacher used to say, I like to quote it, the preacher used to say, the only time God gets in a hurry is when he runs to meet a sinner. And so here's God. He's running to his son. And what does the father do? The father throws his arms around him and embraces him and begins kissing him. This is such a rich description of God. God does not hold us at arm's length. 
God does not say, well, you, you need to prove yourself to me because I've seen what you're capable of doing. Oh, no, this, this God, this father runs to his son. He throws his arms around him. You know what the son does in the story? If you read it closely, well, the son's got this speech memorized, and so you know what he's doing. The, son, the son's going to start with his speech, and so he says, Father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy, worthy to be your son. And then the father stops him in the middle of his speech. I love it. He stops him in the middle of the speech and he says, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. What is that robe? It's the robe of forgiveness. It's the robe of grace. It's the robe of love. The relationship is restored. There's no second class sonship here. If we're not careful, we'll say, well, I know, but that person went to the far country. We just need to watch and see. We just need to be careful. Who knows? That's not the father's heart. The father runs to the son, throws his arms around him. And then he says, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. And I love this last line. For this son of mine was dead. That's what happens when we go into the far country. We're dead spiritually. This son of mine was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost. And now he was found. I'm told that, that Rembrandt, he once decided to paint Luke 15. And that, that painting, which you'll see on your screen right now, that painting is, is found in an art gallery in St. Petersburg, Russia. And Rembrandt could have painted many moments in Luke 15. He, he could have painted the moment when the shepherd goes in search for the sheep. He could have painted the woman as she is looking for the coin, as she pulls up the rugs he could have painted the father uh in 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 many stages but he decided to paint the father receiving his son now he could have painted many moments in that particular encounter he could have painted the boy leaving home he could have painted the moment that when the boy came to his senses in the far country he could have painted the moment when the party is thrown and the musicians are playing and there's dancing. He could have even painted that, that sour look on the older brother's face. He could have painted any of that, but he didn't paint that. He chose to focus on verse 20. And of all the pieces in verse 20, he didn't, he didn't choose to paint the father running. He didn't choose to paint the father kissing. No, what he captures, as you see, he captures the embrace. So look carefully at that picture if you can. The father is standing. His face is, is worn with worry. He's slightly bent over. And his large, caring hands are on the back of his son. Here's the son. The son is kneeling. His hair is matted. His robe is ripped. One sandal is gone. The other sandal is torn. But the striking thing about Rembrandt's painting is the position of the boy's head. The head is on the father's chest. It's turned to the right so that his left ear is against that hollow space just above the father's abdomen. And we wonder, what's, what's Rembrandt's point here? What's he saying? I think he's saying that the son... He hears the Father's heartbeat. He hears that slow, rhythmic 
beat that says, I love you. I love you. I'm so glad to have you back home where you truly belong. And that amazing, incredible love drew the boy back to his father. Now here's what I want to tell you today. If, if you first, if, if you find yourself in this room and you know you're far from God, you've, you've wandered away from God, I want that picture, I want that image to be in your mind. So often as we read these stories in Luke 15, and in fact, um, in my heading it says, the parable of the lost son, or the story of the lost son. That couldn't be any further from the truth. This story is not ultimately about a lost son. This story is about a loving father. This story is about the kind of God we have. And yet there's a lot of negative press in our world about the kind of God we serve, about the true biblical God. Luke chapter 15 paints this beautiful picture of a God who is poised, a God who is looking, a God who is ready to run to meet you. And so if you've come into this place today and you are far from God and you're ready to come back home, I want you to see this picture because not only will God run to meet you, the Father will run to meet you, we will as well. And then the second thing I I want to say about, about this story is that this story should inform how we view people. Do you realize all of us at times, we've been the one. All of us at some moment in our life, we wandered away like that sheep just kind of wandered away from the rest of the herd. We were like that, that coin that was misplaced, that was brushed off. A lot of us in this room know what it's like to be hurt by church. A lot of us know what it's like to be overlooked. We know that. Now, I was talking to someone, uh, one of our members this week, and she said to me, Kevin, we've got to do better. And I said, you're right, we've got to do better. We've got to be a kind of church, and I think we are, a kind of church that loves people and blesses people and helps people, not hurts people. There are too many churches out there and too many Christians out there who hurt people. And maybe you've experienced that. We don't want you to have that experience here. We want you to experience a rich, supportive community. We want to be the kind of church that loves people right where they are, but we love them too much to let them stay that way. We want to grow more in love with Jesus, and as a result, we become more like him. And we grow. We're not perfect. No one is perfect. And so some of you felt like the coin before, and all of us, I think, in this room, all of us have been like this young son. We, at some point, were drawn away by the allure of the far country. We went into the far country for a while, and oh, it was exciting, and it was great for a while until we realized it can't, it can't keep up with all the promises that it makes. And we find ourselves alone, far away from God and there comes a moment in our life when we reach bottom and we come to our senses you see if we remember that if if we understand we've been in the far country I'm convinced it'll help us develop the father's heart I'm convinced it'll teach us it'll help us to learn how we respond to those that are currently in the